First Baptist Church. You are listening to special guest speaker Keith Baird. Um, I'm pretty sure most of you know me, but uh, I just want to tell you that uh, I've been going to this church about 17 years, and uh, it's been my honor to preach here from time, time to time, but it has been a while since I've stood in front of you. So I want to let, tell you a little bit what I'm about to expect today. Um, first, uh, you can count on this, that if I say something that you find profound or inspiring, it came from one or two so- sources. I either bor- borrowed it or, depending on your uh, mind, stole it outright from another pastor or some scholar, scholar or commentary I read, or God graced me with the words to write on the paper, right, because I'm not really that profound or inspiring. Uh, second... Once again, uh, you're not going to have any problem hearing me. If the mic gets too loud, if I get too rambunctious, somebody put up a hand and uh, uh, I'll have Johnny turn it down a little bit. Uh, And I can't stress this enough. The one thing good about if you've heard me preach generally, uh, you're going to be out of here earlier than what you normally are because I don't have the the, uh, uh, wherewithal to preach to you for an hour generally. Third, uh, I'm going to say this, that uh, when I preach, I preach on the things that uh, I struggle with. Uh, So when you hear that, you hear not only what God will have for you, but what he's teaching me. Although here I have to be honest that uh, God's teaching me comes in uh, two forms, uh, the biblical two-by-four because I'm hard-headed. And uh, I'll I'll share with you a phrase that uh, we uh, use at work. Uh, Terry will know this. Uh, Sometimes teaching people is like pouring water on concrete. Uh, You have to be uh, very patient because it takes a a lot of water for just a little bit to sink in, right? So that's the way God deals with me generally. Um, So with that, uh, my intention was to preach uh, on the entire first chapter of uh, James. Uh, But once I got into it, I found that I settled into James 1.19 uh, pretty easily, 19, 20, and 21. Of course, I didn't get to 21 very much. But uh, as uh, some of my small groups will know, we went through James 119 with a gentleman named Francis Chan. And it's a popular verse with the three or four guys or, or half a dozen at work that are Christians that uh, uh, we are two people a lot of times, the guys that work or the people that work out at Borax. I don't know, can't speak for anybody else. But I am a calm, reasonably calm and uh, cautious person when, I, when, when I'm in a group of people. Uh, I don't necessarily like a lot of crowds. I, I don't mind speaking because I like to hear the sound of my own voice a lot. But, uh, so I am one person when I'm at home. I'm, a one, I'm that same person when I'm at church uh, dealing with my kids, my grandkids, but there's something about walking through the gates of U.S. Borax or Real Tinnel Minerals that changes the person that I want to be into this person that if those of you that have not known me in that environment would listen to me, you would think, wow, that's a guy I need to stay away from. So that's why I say it's a personal struggle. So um, let me just, I'm going to read from chapter start of the chapter all the way down through verse 20 for you. Uh, James, the servant of God, um, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produced steadfastness. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given, given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to his change, or due to the change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 19. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So let me just read those, those two verses again. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In James 19 here, he says, My dearly loved brothers, uh, which reveals to us that this was not an admonition of spite or anger. This was a brother in Christ reaching out to other brothers and sisters in Christ to teach and admonish or correct their behavior out of love, not harsh rebuke, out of care and concern, not seeking retribution. We don't know how James came about teaching on the issues he was writing about, whether these were the issues reported to him or that they were present in the congregation he was addressing, or that James merely knew and understood human nature and had also witnessed several of these things begin to happen in churches when he was a, in which he was a part. Either way, James was addressing several issues that the church was dealing with, and, and as we know, what the church is still dealing with today. Because these are issues of our human nature. As I said, human nature, not our Christ-like nature. These are things we all face and deal with in our lives. James knew that they were dealing with these things, and James wanted to deal with them in a loving, yet firm manner. We see his compassion come through here in this phrase that even though he may sound harsh, he is being done out of love. When we see James further say in verse 19, understand this or know this, James continues his instruction. He states that he loves them and the implication that he is being done, this is being done out of love, but that does not change the direct nature of his teaching. Understand this is a definite call to the readers to pay attention to what was about to be said. In other words, James wants his full, their full attention for the upcoming teaching. All of, God word, all of God's word is important. We are called to be obedient to all of it. 
but we know that as humans we fail more in some particular areas than we do in others. In this passage, James dives into one of the most difficult areas where most of us have or have at times fallen short and have trouble with. We find him starting here in verse 19 where he instructs believers to be quick to listen. I believe that listening to others, especially when we disagree with them, is not something that we do very well as humans. It is a human nature thing. Some of us deal with it better than others, but some of us really struggle with this in our lives. Um, it's been my experience or my, in my belief that women generally are better listeners than men are. Uh, I have seen and believed that the older we get, with more life experience, we have a tendency to listen first, though not necessarily all of us. But for the most part, it is a universal issue for all of humanity, but we must realize again who James is speaking to here. James is speaking to believers. So this means he has been told or has seen that the problem exists in church, and this is why he's writing the letter. So why is listening so hard for us? I believe it's because listening takes time and effort on our behalf, and most of us simply do not want to take the time or feel we don't have the time to hear out the other person. Just as a side note, husbands, we tend to struggle this, with this one more with our wives, because, but that would be another whole sermon. Instead of listening, what we want to do is share our solution because ours is best, right? 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 Ours is best. Um, to, their, to the issue and then move on. But James' instruction begins by sharing how important the li- that listening is for the believer. Another aspect here is the believer is when we are willing to listen, it reveals our heart. It tells others that we are willing to put aside our own self specifically at, as a time to minister and listen to them. Now understand that listening does not, to someone does not mean that you have to agree with them. But it does reveal that you, what you, how you care about them, even in disagreement, you show your Christian love for them by being willing to listen. First, James does tell us to be quick to listen. In other words, I believe James is saying here that for the believer, listening is the most important step we do in ministry, and it should be the first thing we do. When we learn to focus on relationships with others by willing to listen, it speaks volumes about Christ to them. But not only with those whom we are listening to, but with God as well. We must learn to listen to God first and not jump to telling Him what to do. Because so often we get those things turned around. After listening, uh, we see that James says believers are to be slow to speak. After we are quick to listen, James says, says we must not jump to saying something we may regret later. In this short phrase, what James is passing on is the principle that states you have two ears and one mouth. So you should listen twice as much as you speak. Uh, here James is just cautioning believers not to move too quickly to speak. Uh, let me just ask a question, right? Uh, how often do you find yourself jumping into a conversation to speak, and then soon after you speak, you're regretting what you said? Maybe some of us struggle with that more than others. Uh, first James instructs on patience and listening, and now he's instructing on patience in what we say. Patience in speaking allows us to pray and think on what is going to come out of our mouth. Believers must be judicious and cautious with our words. We must guard our witness through our speech or lack of speech. We must remain faithful to the truth of God's word and all we do. And to do this, we must have a deliberate and intentional focus on what we are about to say 
at how we go about it. In fact, how we say something is very important, and we can see where this is addressed by James. We look at what James says follow, follows this up with is an action of attitude and slow to get angry. I cannot remember how many times I, I have said that I was going to listen only to allow the first thing that was said to me to send me into an angry tirade. That's a, that's, that's a me thing. Hopefully it's not necessarily an all you you thing, but it's definitely a me thing. We can be and get angry as anger in itself is not sin, but it is what we do with that anger that can and will lead to sinful actions on our part. In our verse today, James calls for patience in every aspect of this verse. Patience to first listen instead of thinking only what we have to say has worth. Patience to not jump to words before we have had time to hear all of what is being said. And then time to absorb and process what has been said. Time for us to pray and seek godly counsel in what we may say if we are going to say anything at all. Then patient in how we react to what is said and the situation it may create. We are to be patient. In verse 20, James gives us all an overall reason why we need this in our lives. It is because we are, when we are not patient, patient, we have a human tendency to get angry and blow up. We tend to overreact. Uh, we have a tendency to allow anger to control how we react. Once again, anger in itself is not the sin, but anger that is birthed in the human heart, that is based on human emotion. It's an anger that cannot please God and will not produce anything God desires. James says it does not produce God's righteousness. The fact of the matter is what God does not, God does not want us blowing up or going off on those that have done wrong or made terrible choices. This anger only leads to resentment and guilt and pushes people away from God. So the reason I could, did not end, end up preaching the whole thing on James is because when I got to the whole slow to anger part, there was so much information, I decided to kind of drill down and focus on that. So we're going we're gonna to look into that slow to anger part just a little bit here. Um, if I was to ask, ask you of all the human emotions you are capable of experience, which one seems to be the most difficult for you to cope with, it could be that many of us report that anger is one of those troubles. Anger is a complex and challenging emotion. It is complex because it sur can surface at the strangest times brought forth for the strangest of reasons and exhibited in the strangest ways. It is challenging because if anger is not handled properly, it can be a very dangerous and destructive thing. It can hurt us and others in every possible way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because life can be a very anger-provoking experience, we must all learn to deal with anger. I heard a story, of, I heard a story about a man who was taking a flight from LA to Dallas. But the plan he was on was to continue on to New York. The man was not continuing with the plan to New York, obviously, but he had an appointment meeting in Dallas. He was very tired and was very concerned that he might fall asleep on the plane and sleep right through to New York. So he instructed the flight attendant that he was going to nap, but that she must be sure to wake him up when they stopped in Dallas. He warned her that when he was woken up, he was often very grouchy and uncooperative but that regardless of how ugly he might be at the time, make sure he gets off to Dallas, at Dallas. She said she would, and he fell asleep before they reached cruising altitude. Well, the next thing he knew, he woke up to hear the pilot say, welcome to New York. He couldn't believe it. He was livid. He went to that flight attendant and read her the riot act, veins popping and using every nasty word in the book. 
After the irate man left, another passenger apologized to the flight attendant, saying that he had never seen anyone so angry. She said, thank you, but that was nothing compared to how mad the man was that I forced off the plane at Dallas. <laughs> so there are likely some among us who are, could be in a serious need of an anger makeover. Uh, I must confess that anger has been at times, and in searches of which situations, an Achilles heel of mine. For some of you, anger could have been or might be the hardest thing for you to deal with in your life. And it may not be your own anger, it could be the anger of someone else. Um, some of you have likely overcome this successfully and maybe not others so successfully. But I want you to know that as I talk about anger, it will be with compassion because I know that many of us have struggled and it's hard to control this monster called anger. Uh, for some, their experience with anger has been one of failure as they have seen right anger get the best of them time and time again, destroying relationships and righteousness. What you won't hear me say today is that dealing with anger is easy and that there's a magic pill that you need to take that will cure all. What you hear, will hear me today is that dealing with anger is critical, it must be taken seriously, and that the promise of God include the ability to tame the temper. So we're going we're gonna to keep going with a set of questions. All of us may have had moments of anger, but did you find anger to be a frequent companion? Are you known for a quick temper? Do you live with long periods of time in a state of mad? Well, let us all acknowledge that God has not designed us to live that way and that we invite a lot of trouble if we do. Solomon had a lot to say in Proverbs about anger. Proverbs 29.22 says, An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. We cannot consistently be angry people and reflect the character of Christ. If we're going to look to Jesus, we need to learn to control and channel our anger. It could be that the behaviors we need to change are usually motivated by some kind of deceptive thinking. Therefore, to change the behavior, we must change the thinking. Anyone who says, I'm just so mad, I can't think straight, is telling the truth. One reason we get so mad so often is we are not thinking straight. To overcome our anger, then we must have to overcome some type of deceptions that support it. So I'm going to talk about some anger myths. There are a number of myths about anger. Let, let me share three of you with these. So three of the most common ones. The first, I cannot control my anger. People who often use this excuse try to justify their eruptions as healthy venting. That would be me. I do that. Uh, they say, it's not good to hold, hold it in, and I feel so much better when I let it out. Well, here comes one of them two-by-fours. Anybody know who uh, Billy Sunday is? Right? Nobody? Billy Sunday? He was, a, he's a, was an evangelical preacher. I'm not sure about back back in the day somewhere, revivalist, tent meetings, the whole works, right? He, uh, he had a lot to say on a lot of things. This, this is pretty good here. A lady once came to Billy Sunday and tried to rationalize her angry outburst. She said, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up, and then it's all over. Sunday replied, so does a shotgun, and look at the damage it leaves behind. Ah, okay. People who say that they cannot control their temper are not being honest, nor, are, nor wise. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, 
but a wise man keeps himself under control. What we do with anger is a choice. Every time a person gets angry, they choose whether to allow that anger to boil and then explode, or they choose to cause it to subside and act appropriately. Even people who have the greatest problems with anger don't always explode when angry. Have you ever found yourself engaged in a heated discussion with your voice getting louder and louder, but then, when the phone rings, you control your temper and sweetly say, hello. Or maybe you had a fuss in the car on the way to church. But then it's amazing how, much, how the anger is brought under control when you get out of the car and walk into the church building. So you, so you could say we can't control anger, but that's not true. We can and we do. The problem is, is we have gotten into the habit of losing control of our anger in certain settings and with certain people, mainly our spouse and our children. So in reality, it is not that we can't control our anger, it is that we won't. Anger myth number two. Other people make me angry or circumstances make me angry. When we say something like this, you know what we're saying? We're saying, we are the victim. It's somebody else's fault that I'm so mad. If that is true, then why does the text in James 1.19, and I'm going to repeat that again, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How can we be slow to become angry unless anger is a matter of personal will? Proverbs 22.24 says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. We certainly don't want to pick up bad habits of others. But another reason for staying away from someone so easily angry is that sooner or later, you're the one that's going to get the blame. Those of you who have lived with a quick-tempered person know that when they explode, they usually blame you. It is always someone else's fault. You hadn't made me so mad... I wouldn't have, dot, 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 fill in the blank. But Ben Franklin said this, anger is never without reason, but seldom with a good one. Myth number three, I was born with a bad temper. We say things like, that's just how my side of the family is, is wild. We're hotheads. Well, while, while there may be some truth to biological propensity to all kinds of things, there is more correlation between our environment and behavior than our biology. Mismanaged anger is a learned behavior. If our parents deal inappropriately with anger, then there's a good chance we will mimic that behavior. Some years ago, Reader's Digest carried an article about a man who spent some time in an Amish community in order to write an article about Amish life. One day he was at an Amish school. He noticed that as the children were playing, none of them raised their voices. He asked the principal, why don't I hear any of the Amish children yelling? The principal responding, have you heard, ever heard an Amish adult yell? The truth is that for those who seem not to be able to control their anger, they have learned somewhere along the way that throwing a fit is an effective means of getting their way. Therefore, the ability to control our temper has less to do with that biology and more to do with our theology. If we have been born again, we have the Holy Spirit. If we, have been, if we have the Holy Spirit, then we can develop the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.19, I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit here, says the following as a description of sinful behaviors which include hatred, discord, and fits of rage. 
But in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit includes things like love, patience, gentleness, and self-control. The biblical position is that anger is an option, an option that the believer needs to learn to control and channel. Colossians 3.8 says that we need to get rid of all such things as anger and rage. Don't you think that it's time to do just that? Isn't it time for an anger makeover? Let's talk about two truths that anger can, we can help ang- manage anger. First of all, anger is a window into the heart. Anger is like a smoke detector warning us that something is wrong below the surface. When we find ourselves getting angry, the anger is telling us that something is going on that needs immediate attention. Therefore, anger is an invitation to investigate our own heart. Anger is usually not the real problem, but just a reaction to the problem. Cain was angry, but underneath that anger was resentment that his brother's offering was more acceptable to God than his. Cain Saul was angry with David and tried to kill him. But underneath the anger was insecurity that his position might be threatened. In the story of the prodigal son, we see that the older brother became angry, but underneath that anger was the perceived unfairness of his father and resentment towards his brother. And I'm just going to stop right there. If you, none of, if you have not heard the... We have a, the CD in the, in the office. Uh, Timothy Keller teach on the prodigal son. If you haven't he- not heard that lesson, you need, to, you need to borrow it and go through it. It is eye-opening on the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the critics of Jesus were often angry with Jesus, but underneath their anger was a lot of misunderstanding and unbelief and pride. If we find that we have continuously, a continually angry spirit, then what we are likely attempting to do is divert attention from a more painful emotion. What we need to do is try to understand what is underneath the surface that is causing our angry spirit and angry outbursts. Anger often comes from some bitterness and unforgiveness that we are harboring in our hearts. Maybe it is toward a father or mother who didn't treat us appropriately and give us what we needed. Or maybe it was the family system we were in or something else that happened along the way that has caused us to be wounded, insecure, or have a self-hatred. We need to ask God to search us and show us what is going on beneath the surface that may be the source for that rage that so frequently affects our lives. Anger is a window to our hearts. Anger is a warning sign that there is unfinished business. Secondly, anger is a door for the devil. Um, This is kind of cheesy, but it, it brings the point home. Add one letter to the word anger, and you have the word danger. And the D stands for devil. Ephesians 4, 26-27, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Notice that Paul does not, create, does not credit the devil with making us angry. We might have a legitimate reason to be angry, but if we don't deal with our anger quickly and appropriately, then the devil will take advantage. Let me clarify. God has created us with the ability to be angry for a reason. The inability to feel pain is a dangerous condition. When violated by others, we should feel anger. When we see someone else being harmed or treated unjustly, we need to feel anger. Jesus got angry at those times and in those situations, but his anger and response to it was not sinful. We need to become angry when we see corruption and injustice. We need to be angry when we see all kinds of evils harming others in crimes like murders and rapes 
abortions, child abuse, alcoholism, and the like should all bring about our indignation. The devil is busy taking many to hell with him, but, the, when, but then those feelings need to be controlled and channeled in the right direction. But if we don't deal appropriately with all these kinds of anger, then the devil can set up base of operations in our heart. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down, a man who lacks self-control is, is a man who lacks self-control. Sorry. The devil loves to come through the door erected by anger. Closing the anger door is our choice and our responsibility. But God is eager to help us. So here are some things we can do to manage our anger. First, we need to place our heart on the altar. As I said a moment ago, sometimes anger is the right response. Jesus got angry at the money changers and at the Pharisees and at the disciples, like when he wouldn't let the little children come to him. He got angry when someone was dishonoring God or another human being. When we get angry, we need to stop right there and place our heart on the altar. We need to learn to stop and ask God to search our hearts. Should I be angry? Are my motives pure? Do my feelings reveal that there is a part of me that needs to be crucified? Is the more we surrender our expectations and rights to God, then the less angry will we be. Second, we need to alter our anger management strategy. If we have learned an inappropriate way to handle our anger, then we can learn a better way. The Holy Spirit can teach us to act rather than react to people and circumstances around us. Remember, in Christ, we can be made new. We are not the people we used to be, so we don't have to live the way we used to live. We can change. Thirdly, we need to admit our anger. When angry feelings arise, we need to call them what they are. And just because we can't admit we have anger feelings doesn't mean that we have to speak in angry tones or act in angry ways. Most of the time, we try to repress or suppress our anger. We think that if we just ignore it, it will go away, but that doesn't work. When we bury our anger, we bury it alive, and sooner or later, it will rise from the grave. Are you aware that, that uh, some bombs from World War II continue to kill people even today? Some bombs from World War II continue to turn up and blow up at construction sites, in fishing nets, and even on beaches more than 60 years after the guns have fallen silent. Unexploded bombs become more dangerous with time. As the corrosion increases, the weapon becomes more unstable and the detonator becomes exposed. What is true of lingering bombs is also true of lingering anger. Buried anger will explode when we least expect it. Therefore, when we are angry, we need to learn to express it and confess it. Fourth, we need to quickly submit it to God. Don't hold on to that anger or the devil will get a hold of you. That's why Paul says we should not let the sun go down while we are angry. So we must quickly take the anger to the altar for his inspection. How long should we stay at the altar? We should stay there until we know what to do with that anger. We can't ask God to help us use the appropriate anger to do good rather than evil. Aristotle said, anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. Finally, we need to forgive in advance. Ephesians 4.32 says, be compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. Some of our anger may come from real injury and injustice. But if we don't learn to forgive, that stuff will only lead to more anger and rage. God has extended great grace to us, and we must learn to extend it to others. 
We don't deserve God's mercy, but he gave it to us. Anyhow, others may not deserve our mercy, but we must learn to give it anyhow. So I want to encourage us to live with a new mindset that says, I'll begin each day thinking, today nobody nobody owes me. Today I will not build a case against anyone. Today you are forgiven even before you need it. Life is too short to be angry and bitter and resentful. Okay, so now we're, we're, we're coming in for a landing. I still got some time? I still got five minutes? Perfect. Outstanding. All right, so for any of you that are that have been basketball fans for any length of time, back in 1977, just going back a little ways, uh, when the Lakers still played at the Forum, they were playing a game against the Houston Rockets. A fight broke out on the court between Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and several players. Rudy Tomjanovich, anybody ever heard of him? He was a, co- he was a player first and then a coach of the Rockets. Uh, Rudy Tomjanovich, then a 29-year-old 6'8", all-star forward with a feathery shooting touch, came rushing to the aid of his teammate, Kevin Jr., who had tussled first with Abdul-Jabbar. Jabbar's teammate, Kermit Washington, then a 26-year-old 6'8 power forward, feeling someone rushing up behind him, turned and delivered a frightful right-hand punch that shattered Tom Johnovich's face, dislodged his skull, and nearly destroyed both men's careers and lives. I saw that game on TV. It is still on the Internet. If you want to type it in, and say, it's not very graphic because it's from very far away. But the violence, just at the outset, will just surprise you. But, so anyway, um, uh, as Tom Jonovich laid there motionless in a pool of blood, those who saw it will never forget it. And Jabbar said he didn't, didn't see it, but he will never forget the sound of the impact nor the sound afterward as everyone waited for a sign of life. It was the loudest silence you have ever heard, former Rockets guard Mike Newland said. Tom Jonovich went through five surgeries. And Washington was fined $10,000 and suspended 60 days without pay. Amazingly, Tom Jonovich did return to the court for three more seasons, and Washington played for five more. Forgiveness was a gradual thing for Tom Jonovich. An hour or so after the punch, he was in a hospital being told by a doctor that he was leaking spinal fluid, would not play basketball the rest of the season, was headed up to intensive care, and that his life was in danger. Tom Jonovich said he wanted to rush back to the forum and get in a few punches of his own. The doctor told him, hold on, man. I'm telling you something right now. You have got to get on a path to healing, and any negative thoughts are going to hurt you. Later, Tom Jonovich said Washington did say he was sorry, and that's great. But even if he didn't say he was sorry, I had to let it go for my own sake. Otherwise, I'm playing God. In an interview much later, a reporter asked Tom Jonovich, how much anger do you have towards Kermit Washington? Tom Jonovich said, none. The reporter said, come on, the guy nearly killed you. He killed your career. Don't you have any anger or bitterness towards him? Tom Jonovich said, I don't have any at all. The reporter said, how can you say that? Tom Jonovich said, I knew that if I wanted to move on in my life, that I had to let it go. I didn't do it for him. I did it for me. So today I hope you found something that you can begin working with from the message. The next week all of us are going to experience something that result that will result in an anger response. 
Let's learn to stop and see anger as a window to our hearts, but let's not allow it to be a door for the devil. Let's admit our anger, quickly submit it to God, and allow him to help us control and anchor, uh, channel our anger. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Are you willing to become a listener first to the ministry to minister to those around you, revealing your heart in Christ? Are you willing to not leap into saying something before praying about it and seeking godly counsel on it? Are you willing to be also be slow in your anger to see through see things through the eyes of Christ and seek to reconcile rather than rebuke? What James is saying here is something we all have to deal with and that all of us struggle with in one way or another. What is your struggle? Let's end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this uh, time to be here. I thank you for these people who are uh, in their place this Sunday, Lord. The pastor would be so pleased about that. Lord, I just pray that as we all go forth in this place, uh, that we deal with uh, uh, spouses and children and relatives and, and, and work people, Lord, that we would take, uh, take this phrase, uh, slow to, quickly hear, uh, slow to speak, and slow to anger uh, to heart this week. James uh, 1.19 is not a very long uh, or 20, long, 119 and 20 is not a very long two verses, Lord. We can keep those in our hearts. I pray that uh, you put a hedge of protection around these people for their uh, their work week, Lord. And uh, we ask that uh, you bless, bless this time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California.
listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.